I think uh, giving with a plan can feel very empowering and give you confidence and it allows you to know what your bigger yes is. A lot of people have trouble saying no, but when you know what your bigger yes is, that makes the no's a little bit easier. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This podcast was brought to you by Oak Maple Finance. At Oak Maple, our fiduciary, heart-centered approach means letting go of one plan fits all advice. Our process is simple. You talk, we listen. You get financial guidance customized to your specific needs because we know that life is better when your financial plan fits you. Visit our website at oakmaple.com. Today on the Breaking Money Silence podcast, we're going to talk about women in philanthropy in the first of our series on that topic. Today, we're going to talk about philanthropy and is it just for wealthy women? And my guest is a great person to answer this question. Her name is Becky Walsh. She is the founder of Oak Maple Finance, and she is somebody who has worked most of her career, if not all of her career, in some form of charitable giving or helping people do philanthropic planning. And so Becky is a heart-centered financial planner who plants seeds for clients to help them grow amazing lives. If that doesn't sound good, I don't know what does. Uh, In 2022, she opened her own financial practice, Oak Maple Finance, and carried on a family tradition of service-oriented entrepreneurship. As a holistic certified financial planner, she addresses all aspects of her clients' financial lives, including charitable giving. Becky practices what she preaches and is involved in many local charities, including the Vermont Food Bank, All Brains Belong, and the Vermont Youth Orchestra Association. Becky has a background that's kind of interesting. I didn't know this when I invited her on the podcast, but she's been a classically trained musician, and it informs her financial planning approach. Her academic research and analysis skills transfer from notes and music theory to financial planning and portfolio management. Whether serving clients or playing the piano, Becky brings joy, creativity, and healing energy to her work. Wow, what an interesting background. Welcome to the podcast, Becky. Thank you for having me, Kathleen. Well, I am so excited to delve into this topic of women and philanthropy. It's something that I've wanted to cover on the podcast for a while. And one of the things that often comes up when I'm talking about philanthropy or charitable giving with my coaching clients or at a presentation or even with friends, the idea that somehow you have to be affluent or extremely well off to think about charitable giving and to do it in a planned way. And so I'm wondering if that's true. You know, can you be of any socioeconomic background and think about building in philanthropy into your life? Absolutely. And I'm going to answer that question from what might be a counterintuitive example. I'm looking at Melinda Gates, who 
I think is probably the wealthiest philanthropic woman there is. And in her book, The Moment of Lift, she said something that really resonated with me. She was seeing the great needs that were out there. And she said, I looked into the abyss between what needed to be done and what I was able to do. And I just said, no, I had to accept that the needs of women around the world were beyond anything I could heal. I had to accept, and this is the key, my job was to do my part. Let my heart break for all the women we can't help and stay optimistic. And over time, I came to yes. So the idea that Melinda Gates, who has more resources than any of us listening to this podcast, felt like she didn't have enough to give tells me that all of us have a part to play. And we, no matter what your financial resources are, there is a part to play and philanthropy can be that part. That is interesting that, um, you know, with Melinda Gates not feeling like she had enough to solve the problem. So the idea is to kind of think about what is it that a cause that's near and dear to your heart and how can you make an impact and do what you can. Now, why do you think there's this idea that we have to be super affluent? Like, do you have any idea where that comes from, that you have to be wealthy? Maybe because philanthropy is a big word. I don't know what it is. Well, I have been, one of the things I've been reflecting on this year after uh, one day I had a conversation with clients of extremely different means, and both of them were really worried about running out of money. And I think that in order to feel like we can give, we have to feel like we have enough for ourselves, for our family. And often for women, it's enough that I don't become a burden is what the drive is. So I think that we tell ourselves a story that we need more than we have now to have enough, but I'm here to say you're never going to feel like you have enough. And coming from that place of not enough is one of the things that prevents us from thinking that we can make an impact with what we have. That is really interesting. I mean, given my background in money psychology, you know, it doesn't surprise me, given my work, that you could meet with people with very different means and have them both concerned about running out of money. Like, you know, some people won't believe that, but you can be anxious no matter how many zeros are after your net worth. Um, But the not having enough. It's interesting because when I think about charity, I often think about giving to people that don't have enough. So this this about this definition of enough. I mean, I don't want to go down too much of an academic path, but that's kind of an interesting proposition. So if you determine that you want to do philanthropic giving, how should you go about it? Well, the default way that many people go about it is in a impulsive way, in a way where they're responding to the ask letters or responding to moments of great need that, you know, it's very easy to see what that need is. So a lot of people will go about it impulsively. As a planner, I would advocate for being more intentional and more planned about how you go about your giving. And that's that's for many reasons that I advocate for planning. So what it what I have found, and my dad always comes to mind, uh, he, maybe he was in his 80s at the time, and you know, elderly are known to get all these solicitation letters, and he was feeling really overwhelmed by all of them. And he was of the generation, he's a traditionalist, where if you get asked and you have some resources, you give. 
So I had to explain to him that he didn't have to give to everybody who asked. Mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes is hard for people, especially for people who are generous. I would imagine if you have a plan, it becomes a little bit easier to say no or to set some financial boundaries. So tell us a little bit about what is the advantage and if there is any, what's the disadvantage of giving with a plan versus without a plan? Like, how does that help you? I think uh, giving with a plan can feel very empowering and give you confidence and it allows you to know what your bigger yes is. A lot of people have trouble saying no, but when you know what your bigger yes is, that makes the no's a little bit easier. So using your dad as an example, if he had a one specific cause that he had a targeted amount of money that he wanted to give to, it might be easier to then say no to each cause letter that comes to his door. So what is interesting to me is your big yes is not just what's your core value. Because you know my dad passed on the core value of education. So it's not just education, but you help someone drill down into all the different reasons that eventually get to the emotional reasons as to why education is so important. I think for me, I feel... And, and maybe this isn't the deepest, you know, darkest reason, but I think with education, I really feel like it's empowering, that there's power in that. There's a sense of a gift of giving people an opportunity. And so it sounds like you get to your big yes and the emotion that is connected to that. And then what's the next step? So now you've identified, I want to give, I want to give maybe in these areas, or this is my big yes. What's the next step in terms of setting up concrete goals? Because it's very easy to go, oh, I'm really into education or I'm really into women's empowerment and then leave it at that. Sure. And that's where um, research comes in, experiments, little in innovative experiments to find out what is going to sit well for you. I am big into, um, there's actually Ignatian spirituality that talks about discernment where we have a lot of the answers inside of ourselves. And so going through that, those exercises of discernment can help you find what your part is to do. But with education, if you find that to be empowering, what you then you have the what and then the how and the how much are questions that you have to answer. So how much can you give? And that's a financial planning question. Very, very simple arithmetic once we get the right inputs involved in terms of all, all the expenses, all the resources. So that, that how much is a pretty easy thing for at least a financial planner to help someone answer. Then the how, how to give to empowering education institutions. Because you know there's there's a huge difference between an inner city private school looking to serve people who can't pay tuition and Harvard when we're talking about education. And so finding something that you're connected to is one of the ways to find that how. Something where you're not just writing your check, but you're also wanting, you're feeling inspired to give other ways as well. Give your time, give your expertise, help make connections for the organization. So finding places where you feel drawn to giving in all of the resources that you have and not solely in the um, financial realm 
will help you find where you want to give what you have available financially. I want to get back to the determining with a financial planner like yourself how much to give. And so suppose you have a financial plan. Um, you could even use, you know, a client example if you'd like. Is, you know, is there a certain percentage or like how, how is that easy math? I understand that you need to take care of your own expenses and, you know, make sure that you're saving for the future. But beyond that, how is that calculation done? So the, of course, looking to make sure you're looking to take care of your own future is an important part of that math. When I say it's easy math, I'm, I'm not talking about rules of thumb necessarily or a percentage. There's faith traditions will pass down specific percentages, but it's more what are the impacts of a certain number on the likelihood of you having financial sustainability? So most financial planners have access to software that allow us to run various assumptions through the software. And we can see then, it's, it's just moving a lever up and down um, to see what the impact is on the long run trajectory of that plan. I get it, because I've done this um, with my husband and our financial planners. So something like e-money could be a variety of other things where you'll see what your inflows are, your outflows, and then there's some projections around retirement. And I imagine what you might do, and correct me if I'm wrong, Becky, is you'd say if we said, oh, we want to give 100000 then you'd put that in and you'd see how that affects all those scenarios and go through a couple of those different scenarios to then help your clients determine that number for them. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Perfectly. Perfectly summarized. Okay. And then the other piece that I think is important for people listening out there is money can be really helpful, but you also mentioned other ways of giving. Time, which people think about, but I guess people haven't, or I haven't thought about, like the connections that I make. Like I'm very passionate about women's organizations and there's some locally here in Vermont and there's some that are national. And while I may not be in a place right now to give a lot financially, I certainly go out of my way to connect people and to tell people about this particular organization. So you're saying that's a type of charitable giving as well? That's absolutely a type of charitable giving. So when we're looking at our resources, we're traditionally um, thinking about time, money, and energy is something that we've talked about a lot. But one of the things that younger philanthropists are teaching us is what they've learned growing up with social media is that our connections are hugely valuable and they mean so much. And if we can use those ties and connections to help the organizations we care about, whether that's helping an individual get a job or helping one organization that you know would be very, very well suited to support the needs that you know of another organization that you're working with. Um, those sorts of ties are absolutely giving charitably, philanthropically, because that's not something you have to do. That's not something that is part of your basic needs, but it is something that's going to make the world a better place. I really love that concept because that really means that anybody of any age could reach out to an organization that they care about and find out if there is a way a connection or something that they could do that could allow them to support the organization until they get to a place that maybe they can invest some money or some time. So that's a really creative 
thing. And we're always learning things from younger generations. So we're talking about individuals and really thinking about, okay, what am I passionate about? But as we know, many women and men uh, out there will be partnered with somebody and this will become a joint decision. So what advice do you have for couples who are looking to do some charitable giving or some planning around this? Because now you're dealing with two people, two different mindsets around charity and potentially different organizations that they want to support. That's it's always tricky. And I know that you're all about the breaking the money silence, but talking about finances um, when there are other people involved, that complicates the picture, certainly. And when you're working with a partner and making decisions about what's philanthropically going to fit in your plan, it's I, I, I suggest first just talking as openly, creatively, maturely as you can about why each issue might be important to each of you. And then it might be that your plan includes some individual giving and some joint giving, where you may be really passionate about education, your partner may be really passionate about healthcare, and you may jointly be really passionate about protecting turtle habitats or something like that. And if you can find something that you can connect on, but then each have your individual passions as well, I think that that's something where you can bridge that divide uh, in an effective way. Yeah. And I think the conversations are important. I also, it's interesting because I use charitable giving and uh, identifying values as a way for parents to talk to their younger kids about money and the purpose of money and wealth, because it's a great way to say, hey, you know, what are you interested in? And maybe Johnny is interested in saving the turtles. So then it's a conversation about why that's important to you and how he can save some money from his allowance in order to give to that cause or whatever it might be. And so it, it sounds like it's a very similar thing. It's having a conversation as a couple and then determining what are your values. And what I like is you don't have to agree on everything. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I support the causes that my husband gives to. I understand why they're important to him. It's not that they're not important to me. It's that there are some other things that feel a little bit more important to me, given you know what I do for a living and what my passions are. And we both, and I don't know if you call this charitable giving, but when we're skiing at Mad River, which is a nonprofit, we do spend a lot of money at the bar. So we're giving yeah. back to our community. <laughs> there are all different ways to give back. <laughs> we're giving in different ways. Now I'm going to be like, you're welcome. It's, you know, <laughs> I can imagine that there are couples out there where they are giving in, in ways that are not at all aligned and might be 180 degrees opposite of each other. And I think that going back to Melinda Gates, it's accepting that it's my role to do my part. I I can't know that I am 100% right in what my values are and that someone who disagrees with me is 100% wrong. That's an unknowable thing. And so it, it does come down to trusting, I'm going to do the best that I can with what I have and you'll do the best you can with what you have. And hopefully the world will be better for each of us showing up in that way. Yeah, no, definitely. And and a good money conversation isn't necessarily agreeing, it's mutual understanding. Mm -hmm. Now, for couples out there or people out there who are listening and saying, boy, I would like to bring it up with my partner. Do you have a conversation starter or an activity or something that you could recommend they do to 
to just initiate this conversation? Mm. I think it helps to initiate the conversation through some distance. So the conversation starter might be, hey, I was thinking about how in my family growing up, we never talked about philanthropic giving. And I was curious to know what your family experience growing up was. And to create some distance of time by depersonalizing it, not making it about the individuals themselves, is sort of a way to get at the topic at a comfortable pace. Because as you know, Kathleen, I mean, you've, you've built your podcast around it, you've built your work around it. Talking about money can be hard. So finding ways to make it a little bit easier, like creating some psychological distance, uh, would be one way to approach that. Yeah, I love that because it could be as, you know, growing up in our family, this is what we did. What did you do in your family? How do you think that impacts you now? That's a 10, 15, you know, depending on how wordy everybody is, 20 minute conversation. And it feels like it's just laying the groundwork for then as a couple or as partners, what do we want to do? Mm -hmm. I really like that suggestion a lot. Now, there is so much more to be talked about in terms of women and philanthropy. As we kind of wind down uh, this first podcast of the six-part series, I'm wondering, when we think about women versus men, why do you think women tend to be so philanthropic? And the second part of that would be, what's a tip for women out there on how they can get started? I think... I think the, the second question is so much easier, but I'll try to tackle the first one, why women uh, tend to be inclined towards philanthropy. I think that we as women are very community oriented and we have a drive to make our little area or our little part in this world a little bit better. And I, I not enough of a psychologist or a study or a gender studies expert to know why that might be. But if I were to give the audience just one tip around women in philanthropy, I would speak directly to you and say, you should know that you are enough and you have enough. And you can give from a place of an abundance rather than a place of scarcity. And when you give from a place of abundance, how does that shift things? I think it opens you up to see the world abundantly and help you shift your perspective of what you can do rather than seeing what's too much to do. Got it. Got it. So, so much to unpack here. And it makes perfect sense to me, Becky, that someone would want to meet like you to start to have these conversations uh, in the context of their overall financial life. So tell us more about how people can find out more about your services and more about your firm. You can find us on our website at oakmaple.com, on Instagram at oakmaplefinance, and on LinkedIn at Rebecca Walsh VT. Awesome. Well, I have so enjoyed breaking money silence with you and kicking off this series on women in philanthropy. Thank you, Kathleen. This podcast was brought to you by Oak Maple Finance. At Oak Maple, our fiduciary, heart-centered approach means letting go of one plan fits all advice. Our process is simple. You talk, we listen. You get financial guidance customized to your specific needs because we know that life is better 
when your financial plan fits you. Visit our website at oakmaple.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.